Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, the host. Um, Eric Fawcett from GatorCountry.com is going to join me. We're going to break down uh, Florida's heartbreaking loss to Tennessee um, and talk about their trips to to uh, Sarkville where they'll play uh, Miss State, who may still be ranked, but probably won't be ranked. Um, and then uh, a kind of always tricky trip to Stegman Coliseum coming up Saturday in Athens where, uh, you know, like we said last week, Georgia sells out two games a year. Um, they sell out Kentucky. They sell out Florida. There's usually a good Florida contingent that makes the trip from Athens or from Atlanta. Um, and, and we'll see, you know, I think, uh, it's kind of a week where we'd love to see Florida go to an O and let's get two road wins and come back home and, and see if we can reel off, you know, four W's here. Uh, but we're going to dive into that, you know, cause there's some things that Florida might be able to build on and, and then some other things that, that keep rearing their heads and, you know, kind of might be what this team is. So, uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget to shoot over to iTunes and give us a rating, um, any feedback, Twitter at Florida BB hour. And, uh, we're going to talk about it. All right, everybody. I'm with uh, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, um, who does a, a fantastic job covering the Gators. Um, I, you know, I think uh, a lot of people, that one stung last night. Uh Florida has a chance to take the lead uh, with a minute and seven seconds to go. They end up losing by 11. Uh, I really thought Rick Barnes kind of nailed it when he said this was a one possession game and, and we survived and I'm really proud of my team kind of tells you what he saw uh, in terms of what Florida is capable of uh, on video. And then in person, um, your thoughts on the performance, Eric. Yeah, I think that that's pretty complimentary from him and um, uh, it just shows how good kind of Florida's performance was. And it's just kind of funny how basketball is a game that's a lot of possessions. That's 40 minutes. But uh, there was that time where Keith Stone came out of the press and came up with a steal and Noah Locke put up a three. And, um, you know, if that shot goes in, Florida's up one and they probably set their defense a little bit better than they did. But instead, the, uh, you know, the shot came off the rim. Um, Dante Bassett kind of uh, falls asleep a little bit on a defensive rotation and uh, Tennessee hits a jump shot on the other end. And yeah, it's uh, uh, that was pretty much the game right there. So as much as it, as much as it was a really, uh, you know, the, the outcome of the game was double digits and, and which really didn't tell the whole story. Uh, this, this was a one possession game that at one point looked like it could go, um, could go anyway. Yeah. I'll tell you from my seat in, in the, in the Odom, I think the people around me, they took them a couple. I didn't like advertise it. They just asked, you know, hey, did you play basketball? Do you coach? <laughs> that was about three or four games into the season. <laughs> and I, yeah, I'm like, yes and yes. But they, uh, they were laughing because everybody's yelling about the Grant Williams travel that, that wasn't called and he traveled. Um, <laughs> but I was screaming at Dante Bassett about a rotation. Yeah. Well, he kind of found himself in a little bit of no man's land there where he was like, pretty deep into health but not um didn't quite meet anyone um uh, but obviously uh couldn't get back to a shooter and and for some reason i mean when that when the pass came out to the corner it even took him uh, a second to realize that the pass was being made even though it looked like his his eyes were on the right spot so uh, i thought he was in a little bit of no man's land where he 
he wasn't quite uh, helping out, and he obviously wasn't uh, wasn't taking away the shooter, and um, obviously not to put the entire game on Dante Passett or whatever. But yeah, that was uh, no, no, no. that was, uh, but you know, that was uh, that was a little bit of a of a mistake that um, you know came off a shot from Noah Locke that probably wasn't the best look Florida could have gotten in that situation, and um, yeah, that was uh, that was probably the game. But um, uh, let's, yeah, I just um, obviously it wasn't great execution in the clutch there, but at the same time, I definitely don't want that to take away from what overall was uh, was a pretty good performance by the Gators. Yeah, no, and, and I, you know, at first in the arena, I thought maybe Dante got he was he was not in a good defending position as you've noted, but but I thought maybe he got stuck waiting for a traveling call instead of finishing the play, but then on the replay, it doesn't really look like that because, like you said. Uh, with the better angle that the camera had, his eyes were in the right place. It was just like he was just late to rotate over. And, and I think that's unfortunate because uh, he's a guy who who has played well in SEC play so far. He has. He's been really good. Um, but I thought that Florida's defense definitely dropped out when Kavarius Hayes came out of the game. And um, I thought that's when the game kind of really turned. And uh, that is not um, not even – I'm not really trying to say that, oh, that's why, you know, Dante Bassett isn't good or anything. That's not what I'm saying. I just think Kavarius Hayes is just incredible. Um, one thing that obviously you and me talked about at length in our last podcast was the flex offense of, of Tennessee and um, kind of how we were concerned for that. Um, but, what you know, what did Florida do? They play this 1-3-1 zone where they push them out near the middle of the court. Um, it takes 10 <laughs> seconds off the shot clock. Then they throw the ball to the corner, and then Florida matches up man-to-man and they're trying to start their offense with 15 seconds left and the ball in the corner. So they never really got to go get into their flex offense. And I thought that was just a really brilliant coaching decision by, by Mike white to just not give them the chance to get into their offense. And um, uh, the, the one problem though, was that um, that defense that relied really heavily on Kavarius Hayes's ability to, to sit in the center of that zone and to run a uh, sideline to sideline trapping. And when the ball gets in the corner to sprint down to the low block and he was doing that um, excellently, just a brilliant kind of defensive performance by him. Um, but as soon as it went to uh, went to Dante Lassen in that same role, uh, he just didn't quite have the same foot speed and it kind of fell apart and they had to get out of that defense. So um, that was where I thought things kind of changed and, and Tennessee became a lot more efficient when they uh, when Florida couldn't run that one through one as effectively without Hayes. So, um, yeah, first I'll say that was just a really, really smart thing that Florida did from a defensive standpoint. So I'll give uh, Mike White some credit there. And also just give a ton of credit to Kavarius Hayes because there's not a lot of centers in the country that could uh, could play that defensive role and uh, do what Florida did and, and elect just to to play that defense and force the uh, force Tennessee to have to push their offense so far back out. Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, I don't know if, if Jimmy Dykes touched on it on the broadcast, but but I thought um, I know I saw Andy Kennedy was somebody that mentioned it, Jay Billis, with a shout-out this morning on ESPN Radio. So two pretty pretty, uh, pretty qualified people, very complimentary of Mike White's game plan. Um, and, and I thought that, you know, certainly Florida had a, had a plan to win, and it was an effective plan to win. Um, that's interesting about Bassett because I think, you know, and we were texting back and forth about this, about what the conundrum is. Because I think we can all start to be honest about Kavarius Hayes is probably one of the best defensive players in the country. And in fact, metrics kind of bear that out, right? But uh, the, the trouble, I guess, is 
when he's on the floor in a dribble drive, they're almost playing four on five offensively. Yeah, the, that's kind of the thing right now is that Dante Bassett is the better option from an offensive standpoint and Kavarius Hayes is a better option from the defensive standpoint. So that's, um, that's going to make things pretty interesting um, from, a, from a standpoint of, of who you play in what situation. And um, I thought Florida's offense looked a lot different in the way that they did a lot more of the uh, throwing the ball to, uh, to their five-man um, up kind of at the uh, near the perimeter and played some a little bit of dribble handoff or screen and roll yeah. a little bit more. Um, there was the best example was um, was uh, DeAndre Ballard when he got that um, when he threw the ball to uh, to Bassett kind of on the forty five and then he he curled off him for that little rub screen and then got a layup on the left side of the rim. Um, they, we haven't seen that from Florida's offense in the past, and I thought that was a really good adjustment. Um, however, when Kavarius Hayes was doing the same thing, he turned the ball over on a couple dribble handoffs. Um, he kind of turned the ball over when he uh, almost kind of fell over, kind of pivoting around. He got an offensive foul by throwing his hip out, which uh, I thought was actually a little bit of a cheeky foul that if the guy didn't uh, fall over as dramatically, wouldn't have been a foul. I, I don't actually think he stuck out his, his hip as much as uh, that fall made it look like he did. But um yeah, it's just uh, that's kind of the thing right now is the Florida's better for or Florida's better offensively when when Bassett's on the floor and Kavari and they're a lot better defensively when Kavari's Hayes is on the floor. So uh, that's going to be uh, what's interesting to watch moving forward because we know Florida's been able to defend at a high level uh, with a lot of the other guys on the floor. So it's like, hey, do you play Bassett for a little bit better offense um, and take away from your identity as a defensive team? Or do you, uh, you say, hey, we're going to win games with our defense and therefore we need our best defensive five on the floor. So let's put Kamaris Hayes in, who's one of the best defensive players in the country. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Look, and Hayes had more points in less minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true for all the people. I, I, I was definitely guilty of thinking the same thing. Um, uh, that is funny that, that Hayes did that. He had, some, uh, he had some nice finishes. Really nice uh, finish off a lob from Andrew Nemhart. Um, he hit some foul shots, which is great. But um, uh, some of those turnovers, I think, were uh, were pretty poor. Yeah, and of course, he misses the two the two foul shots after the flagrant one when Florida has a chance to expand the lead. Um, <laughs> and you know that, and I think you could just kind of hear there was just so many collective. It was a collective groan in the crowd because it's like you got a chance, you got this lead at five, you can get it to seven. You just got the flagrant one. Where was that call in the South Carolina game? And I think weeks of frustration just kind of came out when Hayes missed that. Yeah, that was was definitely a mix. Yeah, like you said, the South Carolina frustration of that that call. And then, of course, the missed foul shots. That was, yeah, that was a few things piling on each other. So let's let's talk about the play with, with Stone. And again, starts with Mike White dialing up a trap out of a timeout. Um, that works. Uh, so, you know, the play out of the timeouts executed really well by Florida. They get the ball and they're three on two. I thought that my problem was less with, with stone shot selection, maybe than with the way or not stone. My problem was less with lock shot selection than the way that stone initiated that break. Like I thought he just hesitated too much. Yeah, it was a little bit. Uh, I think his timing was a little, uh, a little messed up just because, I mean, uh, Keith Stone coming at full speed, kind of playing free safety and coming up with a, with a ball intercepting that pass. Um, awesome defensive play. Um, Stone is a good defensive player, but, I mean, that's, uh, that play just doesn't happen that often in basketball. So right. I, I, I think he kind of uh, got the ball clean and obviously uh, great play, and I think he was putting a whole lot of his mental energy into shooting that passing lane. 
Um, but I don't think he was thinking about what was going to happen next. And I mean, in all fairness, um, it was probably that defensive focus and the way he was locked in that made him come up with a basketball. But it was yeah, definitely not the, uh, the most clean counterattack when they had numbers when he came up with the basketball. Yeah, and I, you know, I, so, so Florida ends up settling for, I say settling. I mean, he had a good look. It's just. Yeah, a decent look. Uh, I think well, you're three on two. And we've, we've talked about, and it happened a little bit again in this game, although he did hit one big three-pointer um, and make his foul shots. But again, Noah Locke's shooting falls off a little bit in the second half. Um, so, you know, it's it's such a weird spot because you don't want to say that's not who you wanted shooting the ball there. But I just, you know, you, I get, maybe you just wanted something more high percentage when you're three on two. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm all for three point shots. I'm not, you know, everyone who listens to this knows my love of analytics. Uh, But I mean, I I still think that uh, when you've got numbers, um, something at the rim first is uh, is going to be your best option. That's going to be your highest percentage shot. Um, And, um, you know, like, I I think that that lock three was like, I don't know, like a B minus shot. And I think that like a B minus kind of shot like that probably could have happened later in the clock. And um, for, you know, in a game that Florida was uh, limiting possessions really well. Uh, I think you just uh, you probably could have extended that same game plan yeah. of limiting possessions to you know the final couple minutes where you know if you're you know d- down one possession with two minutes on the clock or a little bit less than two minutes whatever it was at that situation um, I think Florida should have been content to saying like hey we would kind of want this game to come down to you know four more possessions instead of putting up that shot quickly and uh, and kind of extending that game and there was a lot more possessions in that game and look what happened. Tennessee kind of stretched that one to double digits and it uh, didn't tell the whole story of the game. So uh, once again, I would say no, definitely not a, not a boneheaded move by any, by any stretch of the imagination for, for Locke to put up that shot. Uh, not a bad shot. Uh, just not an excellent one. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I actually hadn't thought of, of slowing that down either. Like, cause you see numbers and, and I guess even now that kind of, my thought process someone who coaches i guess kind of shows how hard it must be as a player i mean you're three on two you think oh we got to get a shot up we have this numerical advantage and and maybe just settling down and and running some offense would have been uh the way for florida to go so i think we i think we have to talk about um what i thought was the one real questionable aspect of of white of white um, on a night where I thought he got so many things right. I'm just not sure why Kevon Allen was out of the game. And, and I'm not talking about the scoring table issue that Denver parlor cleared up. I'm just talking about, I don't understand why he was out of the game period. Um, especially when, you know, he had shot the ball as well as he had, he's your senior point guard. He's your best perimeter defender. Uh, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me to teach him a lesson with a minute and a half left. Kind of the thing uh, when Denver Parler said that um, uh, there was one one kind of thing was that you know like Florida had a couple timeouts left they had two left so if they really wanted to get him into the game they probably could have used a timeout there I know you always want to you know save it for you need to advance the ball or something but if you really want him in the game but I, I think the question really why didn't he why didn't he come out or why didn't he come back in when uh, when there was foul shots with like a minute thirty left or something like that um, so I went back to watch the game for a second time just to uh, kind of try to figure out why he got pulled. And I will say um, I'm not 100% confident why, but I will say um, my best guess 
and this is also based off a bunch of his comments in the, the post game about rebounding that it was him allowing uh, kind of two offensive rebounds. I'll say one and a half offensive rebounds on the possession before he got pulled. Um, the first one um, ended up being, uh, I'm a, uh, I think, Fulkerson. Is that, that doesn't sound yeah. I'm not really confident yeah. with that his last name when I just said that for some reason. He came down with one where I don't think Kayvon Allen could have gotten the basketball, but the shot came up and, and Kayvon Allen really did nothing. It was to his side of the floor and he didn't pursue it. He didn't pursue the ball. He didn't box anyone out. Not hugely Kayvon Allen's fault, but I could see from, um, it, you know, that was the op- the exact opposite corner from Florida's bench. So I could see how maybe from that angle, Mike White thought Kayvon Allen should have been doing more. And then on the next possession, a shot came up. Um, Kayvon Allen uh, kind of took one look over his shoulder. Um, it's, he stood still and it was a long rebound and it came to, uh, it came to the, the man he was supposed to be boxing out. And uh, that was a that was that really lengthy possession with a bunch of offensive rebounds, and they ended up scoring on that one. So yeah, one mixed of, in, one mixed, of two. yeah, one of many. <laughs> mixed it so mixed in with his comments after the game about offensive or about um, you know their struggles to rebound and talking about guards standing around. Uh, that would be my best guess um, for um, for why he pulled Allen. Uh, some people thought he was you know it was because he was playing hero ball. I don't think that was the case. I think some people were looking at Mike White getting animated after some of the shots um, Allen took down the stretch. But um, when I watched the game a second time, it looked like it was really him um, looking for hand check fouls on uh, on that, that, you know, the other team was committing on Kayvon Allen or the fact he was getting bumped and grabbed down on the block when he went for that kind of post up and hit that little turnaround. So um, I'm going to say I think he was pulled because of offensive rebounding. So, or sorry, for the offensive rebounds he allowed. I will uh, first ask you... um, if what what why you think he why you think he got pulled and I will also say I think you kind of said your piece a little bit before but um, do you think that's the time to teach him a lesson? Yeah. Okay. So it's not the time to teach him a lesson, and especially not on a night where he six of nine, five of six from three point range with eighteen points. Um. So so no, <laughs> on, on that front, and especially on a night where your freshman point guard struggled, which is what we'll get to next. Um. The but but I wanna I wanna note that that it wasn't offense, um, and that's one where being in the arena, uh, the rare instance where being in the arena helps you over over being on TV, because you know Florida side, uh, Florida side of the court, you can hear White's voice carry when he's mad, or when the arena's quiet or quiet, which certainly was when, when Allen is, is backing down. And they had run two plays where it was sort of that isolation sets that they would run for Chioza last year, except they were running them for Kayvon Allen. So there was clearly the intent was for Allen to have the ball and Allen to shoot. Um, that's point A. And point B was he's getting defended by uh, Bowden on both those possessions. And on the second, on the first one, White lit into the official for 30 seconds because they go to timeout or whatever and then on the second one, um, <laughs> he's coming down, and every time Bowden bumped or hand-checked, White yelled, that's a foul, loud enough for you to hear in the arena. So it was like four times, Bowden hand-checked, grab, that's a foul. Bowden hand-checked, grab, that's a foul. And Mike's yelling it right in the official's ear. So um, it was interesting because it was the most animated I've ever seen Mike White with officials last night. Um, and I don't think it had anything to do with hero ball. 
uh, because I heard the evidence that it didn't with my own ears, which is why I kind of asked you, I'm like, something must've happened on the other side of the floor for, for him to take him out. But then he, he didn't use a timeout to go offense for defense when he could have, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't want to beat Mike up because I think plenty of people are doing that already. And um, I actually thought a lot of the reason that Florida was, was able to be in a game where, where Andrew Nimhart didn't play well against a top five team is because of some of the stuff White did. But yeah, I, I mean, I I think that oh, was sorry. You keep going. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, like, like I said, I, I thought the defense Florida played was excellent and was a, a it was a definite change from how Florida has been playing the last couple games with that kind of one three one. And I thought that the offense looked different and has and adjusted and obviously generated a lot of good shots. So I think that Mike White coached a really good game. But uh, like I said, uh, I also was in a, a little bit of a. I will say a little bit of disagreement, but I mean, this is also one of those things that, um, it, that I feel a little bit, um, I would just, I, I would be interested if I was in the locker room because I, I do wonder what values are being talked about. And, um, cause maybe that's, um, maybe that's just, uh, it, it was that important to this team that if some offensive rebounds were allowed, that um, people know they're going to sit and maybe my coach white is trying to make a, trying to, you know, I know we said that maybe that's not the time to try to teach a lesson, but when you're trying to, you know, build a program that's going to have a whole lot of guys returning next year. Um, and the, the, you know, you've got these seniors that probably haven't played up to their potential this year. Um, you know, maybe those are the things you've got to do. And uh, so I, I feel a little bit weird kind of giving my judgment, but um, definitely on the surface seemed like um, a really interesting time to, to kind of use an example of Alan. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to be, you know, a little, I thought it was the wrong call. Um, that said, you know, yeah, I mean, I think you make a great point that Florida has a culture. Um, you know, Malik, Malik Grady uh, sent me a Twitter message that basically said one thing he really likes about, about Mike White is that Florida is so uh, elite defensively and that it's clear that that aspect of basketball is something that Florida is going to be good at as long as he's in control of the program. And so if that's part of Florida's cultural identity, right, and when Mike talks about not playing hard enough, we talked about it on a prior podcast, like rebounding is so much about effort. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe that value was more important to coach white than, than having his offensive player on the floor. I think that the coach white's reflexive enough to look back at the video and be like, man, it might've been nice to have Kayvon Allen out there offensively uh, <laughs> after that moment. But, yeah, I mean, I think that there's at least an argument that you can make as to why, you know, because we're not in, we're not at practice, we're not in the locker room, we don't know, uh, you know, whether that's priority one above all others, right? Right, and I mean, would it have been awesome to get a win at Tennessee? Um, yes, or you know, sorry, against Tennessee at home, of course. Would it have been awesome to beat Tennessee? Um, absolutely, but um, would a win over Tennessee be worth more than? a culture that, um, that coach white is trying to build. Um, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe it's not, maybe it is, maybe it's not, it's tough, but, uh, as you know, someone like myself who has not built up a division one program, I, I can't tell you, uh, <laughs> I can't tell you what, to what extent do you value, um, things like that. Those, uh, those important principles to how your team is going to operate versus, um, you know, maybe getting a really marquee win, uh, because, you know, a marquee win against Tennessee would have been awesome. 
But Florida's got to play, uh, you know, a really tough stretch of basketball in February. And I know some people are rolling their eyes and saying, we need to win now. We should have been able to, we needed to win in November. Um, yeah, that's totally true. But um, we didn't. And I think a lot of that had to do with uh, this mindset of this team. And um, Coach White is, is trying to fix that mindset. And if this is uh, his way of doing it and ends up working, um, I've just got to, I've just got to trust him. And I know uh, trust for uh, Coach White is, is not at a high level uh, for some people listening to this podcast. Um, and maybe this is just uh, not something they want to hear. They just don't agree with And, and that is uh, totally understandable. Um, but I, 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 that's just kind of one of the things I've got to think about because um, I'm still just searching for a little bit of answers as to, uh, as to the decision then, because um, once again, it's uh, it wasn't that they had a better option out there. Um, it was kind of, you know, I think Noah Locke would have been out there, but uh, it was kind of Jalen Hudson, I would say, was the body that was out there in place of uh, Kayvon Allen. And it wasn't like Jalen Hudson was having himself much of a night. Yeah, I mean, look, Jalen scored the first basket of the game and didn't score again. <laughs> um, so, uh, so he had a, he had Florida up 2 nothing with 19.40 to go. And there are 39 minutes and 40 seconds of basketball, and he doesn't score. So, so you know. And, and then the other thought I had on, on the rebounding issue is, like, I don't understand. And, and I'm not ha- – it sounds like we're hammering coach, and I think anybody who listens to this podcast knows where we stand on coach. So uh, – but, but Florida's guards got six rebounds <laughs> last night. They got six. And three of them were by, by DeAndre Ballard, who, who played a very good game. Um, defensively, doing what he could offensively looking to drive and passing the ball, which is a big part of this offense. But, you know, yeah, I mean, you play Tennessee and you play four guards. you got to get more than six rebounds from your guard. So it's weird to pick the one guard that's scoring at a high rate uh, to take out of the game at that point in time. Right. And, I mean, I, I watched the game and, uh, you know, the, for the second time, kind of looking for a little more of those fine details. And, uh I think it was a little bit of the uh, the time and score situation where for Kayvon Allen to to allow an offensive rebound that he didn't really go yeah. after to uh, to an opposing guard um, at that point of the game. I think that might have been what um, what really kind of made Coach White angry relative to something that might have happened eight minutes into the first half. Uh, but um, yeah, once again, I'm I'm just gonna uh, I, my best guess is that it was a, a thing kind of related to the culture and. Um, that's, uh, was, was kind of, I built that thought, um, a lot about the way that coach white talked in the post game. And, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's probably the, the best reason I can come up with. So let's get into, let's get into Andrew Nimhart. And then, um, I think, I think we can, you know, maybe each give a final thought about this game and move on to Miss state. Um, but, uh, you know, a final thought other than Tennessee is really good, uh, <laughs> Andrew Nimhard struggles against the potential Final Four team. I mean, it's not just shooting, although, you know, man, Florida could have used those two layups um, that that I don't think he misses on another night. Uh, but you know, five five assists to three turnovers, some some passes where some effort plays. One by DeAndre Ballard in particular kind of avoids another disastrous turnover. Um, a really lazy pass that leads to a run out. Uh, with the game tied. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, and one where I almost felt like a more assertive senior leader would have been really furious, but Kayvon Allen just kind of shrugs it off and moves on to the next play, which is good by the way. 
in that instance. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking, like, if that had been, like, Scotty Wilbekin or, like, Dorian Finney-Smith, like, they could have been very bad body language-wise. Like, why would you make such a lazy pass? But, yeah, I mean, some freshman mistakes against a really good basketball team. Right, and there's some things, like, when I, you know, when I watched him in, in high school and then watched him kind of through the summer, uh, I really thought, like, like he was hitting shots uh, at a pretty high rate, but watching his jump shot form, I was just thinking, I, there's just no way that he's going to just be a great three-point shooter. And then he came to Florida, and, you know, the first, first two months, he's like a 40-plus percent three-point shooter. And uh, I just kind of always thought that was going to come down to earth, and, and, and it has now. And uh, obviously, he's, uh, that was kind of a big part of his game about the points he did, like the points he did put on the score or on the, on the scoreboard, where him pulling up for long twos or, or being able to hit a three – and those shots aren't falling anymore. And he hasn't been a good finisher at the rim this year. Um, and it's not just uh, not just those kind of wide-open layups he's blown, but also just uh, kind of the more uh, other routine ones he haven't fallen for, at, for him at a high rate. And I, I just think that, that that kind of makes you struggle as a point guard when, when teams kind of realize that they don't have to worry about you scoring, uh, getting your own offense. And I think that that limited his passing a little bit. And I know that he got five assists, and some of them are really nice. But uh, I also think that he probably forced things a little much and, and made some mental errors. And I think that you're probably just uh, seeing that from a freshman where, you know, he's playing 30 minutes a night. Yeah. And he's now playing really good competition every single night these last few games. And I think that just that mental drain as a primary ball handler, uh, all these games Florida plays in are, have been really tight. They've been intense. They've been against good competition and he's on the floor for 30 minutes of it, having to make a lot of decisions. And I, I, I thought he made some, you know, just some really, really big mental errors. It's in bad spots, but uh, you know, he's also given some really, really good production for a freshman in some big games this year. So I, I'm not going to crucify him for it, but yeah, it was a tough game. Yeah. I mean, Florida will have uh, or one of Florida's guard signees is uh, Trey Mann, who is, who is their, uh, at the game Saturday. And I think, you know, Trey, Trey's not really <laughs> a point guard, but I think Trey will, uh, Trey will definitely relieve a little bit of the, the ball handling uh, duties just because of his ability to get to the basket next season. Is that fair to say? I would say that's very fair to say. <laughs> uh, and I think that, you know, obviously when, uh, when Noah Locke is out there and Kayvon Allen is out there, there are some, uh, some other ball handlers, um, but, uh, but once again, I mean, Kevin Allen, someone who dribbles the basketball, not to really get to the hoop, but to try to get space for a pull-up jumper. And Noah Locke's the same way. So they're good ball handlers that can handle a little bit of pressure in the full court. But um, within the half-court setting, um, they're really not point guards. And like you said, I, I think Trey Mann is a little bit of a, you know, he's a scoring guard. He's definitely not an Andrew Nemhart passing point guard. Um, but he's also a guy that can kind of change the dimension of the game by getting into the teeth of the defense and into the into the paint with his dribble, and that's something that oh, just the Gators really, really need. Yeah, no, and and uh, BJ Boston was also um, in attendance Saturday, and and another guy that that would be able to help Florida do that if if that's the route he chooses to go. I think that's probably unlikely if I'm being candid, um, but I do think Florida has a chance at a guy uh, that that I've talked to, to Eric about a lot, uh, Dudley Blackwell, who will be in Gainesville February 2nd for the Kentucky game. So I think, um, and, and Dudley is, is a player who, who can, I think 
who kind of commands the ball. He's not like a particularly elite ball handler, um, but he is a guy that, that will take some pressure and can back you down. And he, he kind of looks to get to the basket first, which is another guy that kind of fits that offense. So I think that Florida will add pieces around Nimhard um, that will help in that regard, but there just really aren't a lot of those guys this year, especially with Jalen Hudson struggling so much. Right. And uh, obviously the more that Jalen Hudson struggles, uh, the more th- kind of it seems to, uh, that pressure is going to fall on Andrew Nemhar with the ball in his hands. And that's one thing that is, uh, especially with, with Kayvon Allen out, out of the game, um, the guy who had to uh, had to make plays was Andrew Nemhart. And the one kind of aspect of Andrew Nemhart's game that isn't great is um, creating offense off the dribble. And he was in a situation where he kind of had to do that. And um, obviously he's, he's not able to do that at a high level. So playing against Tennessee, it's just not going to fly. We just, uh, he, he wasn't the go-to guy Florida needed in that situation. And uh, perhaps he becomes that guy, but right now just not in his DNA. So uh, any, you know, any final, final takeaways, anything you want to talk about in terms of the, the game with Tennessee um, that we, that we haven't hit on um, in the, in the first half hour here. No, I just think that if Florida plays the same at, at the same level that they played um, against Tennessee, they're going to win a lot of games. And, um, you know, if they even played that same effort against Tennessee, um, that, you know, they could win just because of the way that the ball bounces. And, you know, if Noah Locke's shot uh, kind of goes in after Keith Stone's steal, it's a whole new basketball game. So uh, I, I was encouraged, even though it was kind of frustrating the way in which they lost. Um, I, I actually am encouraged and um, I'm happy with how they played. Yeah, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with that, and I'm gonna say, um, I think that there are lessons culturally about consistency that that this video to that end will kind of sh- allow the coaches to talk about. Um, and then my other thought, because uh, it's gotten to where there's like good cop, bad cop sometimes on this show, and and my my bad cop take is. I've just about had enough of the 20 minutes of Jalen Hudson, quite honestly. Um, you know, I just don't think you can, you can beat high level opponents. If one of your starters uh, gives you two points and zero rebounds. Um, I feel like Florida gets a lot more from Keontae Johnson. And I don't know if his body or even really his skill set yet, because it's really easy to be excited about him athletically and about how he's a good straight line driver, but, you know, he had a three-point jump shot. That's good. Um, he hadn't done that in a couple games. Um, but I, I still think he should start because I think he's just such a plus defender. And he just gives Florida a little something different. Yeah, I, I would be all in favor of Keontae Johnson starting. He's starting to – he's strung together some some really good basketball games in a row against really good teams. So, uh, I, you know, I think he's done enough to really warrant, uh, warrant starting. And I think Jalen Hudson just um, hasn't really done that. Other than, um, and I mean, this goes a little bit to our conversation earlier about culture, but, um, you know, Mike White did say that Jalen Hudson has had to, had some really, really good practices in a row, and that's why uh, he started against Arkansas. Um, and, I, you know, I think that there is something to say about, about rewarding your players for working hard in practice. But, I mean, if you look at the way – I'm not in practice, but um, <laughs> if you see the way that Keontae Johnson plays in games, um, I, I bet he – works really hard in practice and probably has a lot of really good practices. So um, I, I think he's going to earn, I think he's going to force white to start him. Um, and I think that, that that's going to be a good thing for the basketball team. Yeah. I mean, I think it might be uh, sooner rather than later. Jalen's defense. He had three assists. He had no turnovers, but uh, just, 
you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had that nice assist actually to uh, to Hayes off a of pick and roll, which I mean, I, I don't think we've ever seen at Florida. Uh, Jalen Hudson really <laughs> pass it over the pick and roll like that. So that was that was actually that was that was something nice. That was a beauty. Um, let's uh, let's move on. Florida, a huge challenge Tuesday night. Um, at Humphrey Coliseum, a very tough place to play. Um, in my opinion. Um, I didn't look at the Kim Palm home court, so I could totally <laughs> be way off. Um, this is just because like, it's one of those. I just made like an eye test take without looking at any of the. <laughs> you know, it, it'll it'll back it up on Ken Palm here. It's uh, it's the fifty fifth, so not um, you know, it's not Bud Walton, but um, it, that's still uh, that's still pretty high, especially for uh, given the um, throughout the SEC, that would be one of the higher ones. And I just joke around. My, one of my favorite intangible things is. You know, because because you and I are so into analytics that sometimes, like, I always have to step back and remind myself that they're eighteen to twenty three year olds. And so, one of my favorite ones, um, which is actually a Billy Donovan thing, is like, "What's your mood? What's your dressing room mood?" And what worries me about this game is Mississippi State's dressing room mood is probably mad and desperate. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, uh, they they had a really good start to the season. I thought that uh, Mississippi State did, but yeah, they lost in overtime to South Carolina. There's a game they probably think they really should have gotten. And Ole Miss, who's obviously uh, they've been playing a lot better than people would have expected. Um, but yeah, uh, they uh, they beat Mississippi State at at Mississippi State's gym. So that's um, you got to think that they're playing pretty angry. And um, hopefully, it's it's the way that. Um, you know that things are maybe hopefully starting to fall apart a little bit, and the Gators can kind of jump on it. Um, but I think it might be a little more likely that they're uh, they're going to be ready to play and and, and angry and um, looking to get things back on the right track. Yeah, they're trying to avoid doing what Florida's done, which is lose their first two SEC games at home. Um, so, you know, they have some good wins. Um, they they beat uh, St. Mary's, who is always tough to play against. I don't know how good St. Mary's is. But they're tough to play against. I know that. Uh, they beat Cincinnati. Mick Cronin's team is a lot like Florida, in my opinion. Probably a little better offensively. Um, they handled them, actually. Uh, and uh, they beat Clemson pretty handily, who, who isn't as good as they were last year. But it's a decent team. They beat Anthony Grant's Dayton team on the road. Uh, so, you know, they've kind of filled it up in terms of, of teams that you – quality opponents that you beat. Um, and I think they have the best stretch four in the SEC and Eric Coleman. Yeah, that's one thing that's really worked for them is their shots are falling. And um, I really, really like Lamar Peters. I think that Lamar Peters is like – I think his numbers kind of look like he's he's a really good player. Um, my eye test just makes me think that Lamar Peters is an awesome player. And, um, yeah, just the way he kind of uh, moves the ball around, the way he kind of keeps the both Weatherspoon brothers kind of fed and then – um, the way he kind of works off um, works off uh, Holman, I, I just think he uh, he's a really really good point guard, and um, yeah, another really good, another big challenge for Andrew Nemhard, who's going to have to bounce back after a tough game. But um, uh, this is a little bit of the inverse, a little bit as well, just because uh, I, I do think that um, uh, Mississippi State isn't kind of they're not elite defensively, at least the numbers would kind of suggest that. Um, but uh, hopefully that means that Nemhard can get on track a little bit more. But um, I, I do think that um, I, I think the most important player to this Mississippi State team might actually be Lamar Peters. Yeah, I mean they struggle. They they actually they're sixtieth in in Kim Palm def- uh, defensive efficiency, which is um, that's the lowest number for for a Ben Howland team since year one. 
Um, you know, take it for what it's worth now. They're about halfway through the season. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that's a necessarily something that'll hold an SEC player or improve a little bit. I think the big problem is the front court, um, that they don't get a lot out of Reggie Perry. They don't get a lot out of Robert Woodard. So they really do rely on, on Eric Coleman, who's a wonderful shot blocker. Um, it seems like Miss State always has a shot blocker, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> and uh, obviously we've talked about his, his ability as a stretch forward, but I really do think – I think you might be right that those front court guys aren't going to be any better this season, I don't think. I mean, maybe they'll have a game or two where they play well, but they're, they're players that Kavarius Hayes should really be able to handle, which should, should allow Florida to, to really key on Quindary Weatherspoon, Nick Weatherspoon, and Holden. And, and I think it's just – how good is Lamar Peters Tuesday night? Yeah, I'm really interested to see if they uh, to see if they kind of stick to that kind of trapping defense they used against Tennessee, just to kind of force the ball out of Lamar Peters' hands. Because if they play that, you know, if Lamar Peters is tearing that basketball up and they throw that one-three-one up and, and make him pick the ball up near center, um, yeah, they could maybe try to get get someone else to beat them. Um, you know, like you said, really, uh, really like Holman there, but. It, I'd like to see him, uh, you know, make plays off the dribble and not just get to be a catch and shoot guy. Obviously, that's uh, would kind of limit his effectiveness. Um, I will also say, um, you know, about Ben Howland's teams, um, it's just kind of funny that uh, you know UCLA runs him out of town because they don't like that his teams just uh, defend really well but don't score enough and just make Final Fours. They run him out of town, and now, uh, you know, now they they made the wrong hire at UCLA, and now uh, now Howland is uh, you know playing really good offense and not as good defense here at Mississippi State, where uh, you know UCLA would have loved that style of play. So I, I think he's just really subtly sticking it to UCLA with the way that um, Mississippi State is playing this year. Yeah, no, I think that's true, and I, it's a point Jay Billis made um, talking to SEC this morning, just kind of laughing about how the Pac-12 is so bad, and and they had run. Uh, Ben Howland out of town and it seems like a Ben Howland team would just be cruising to a one seed. Oh, oh yeah. Mississippi state would be running to the Pac-12 this year. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's, to my point about their, their front court kind of issues, their number one shot maker at the rim is Quindary Weatherspoon, which should surprise no one. Um, I mean, he's just so good at putting his head down, getting to the basket. Uh, but, you know, Holman, when you say stretch four, he, he really is only 20% of his shots, 20.5% at the rim. That's a pretty low number for somebody as big. Uh, Robert Woodard is, you know, not doesn't take enough shots to really be considered. Reggie Perry is a guy who, who should shoot more at the rim, but sort of fancies himself a, a jump shooter, which is ridiculous. At 34% at the rim, Ben Howland has said, like, I don't. I think half his shots or more should be at the basket, which kind of tells you what Howland thinks of his front court. Um, and then uh, you know, so so they are they can be a little jump shot reliant, um, which has been pretty good for Florida most of the season. Yeah, well, Florida has been able to kind of defend the three point line pretty well. Um, that also just shows that um, kind of how fluky it was that Tennessee shot the ball really well. Um, better than their season average against, you know, Florida team that's defended the three really well. But yeah, if shots aren't falling for Mississippi state, I think that this kind of plays really well for Florida just because of the way Florida has been able to defend. And because Mississippi, Mississippi state's defense isn't elite, hopefully um, Florida can have a pretty good offensive performance. 
Um, like, I mean, you've got to think it's not like Florida put up a ton of points against Tennessee, but if Florida even had that same offensive kind of effort against Mississippi state, um, they're probably putting, you know, 77 points up or something like that. Um, and that might be enough to, uh, enough to win if, um, if they can kind of keep, uh, keep the shots from falling for Mississippi state. So yeah, running them off the line would be, uh, would be something interesting. Uh, it's, it's even interesting too, because Mississippi state actually does play some of those, uh, kind of smaller lineups with, uh, with Quindary Weatherspoon at the four. And it'd be interesting if, um, you know, they tried that Jalen Hudson kind of lineup with him at the four uh, against it. Um, you know, like you kind of said, I don't know if we want to keep seeing um, Hudson for long stretches if the shots aren't falling. But um, also, I'll, I'll say another game where um, it looks like there'd be a lot of really good matchups for Keontae Johnson. Yeah, no, it really does. And to, to your point about Lamar Peters being the, stir, the straw that stirs the drink there, um, these are kind of staggering numbers from hoop math. Um, so thanks to them. Uh, but, but this is a Miss State team that shoots 40, 41% of its shots or three point shots. And a, which is a pretty high number and a staggering figure that complements that I think is that 78% of those shots are assisted. So they're not guys, they're, they're not guys that are, let's dribble to set up a three point shot. It's almost all predicated on ball movement. Right, and uh, something that um, uh, something that Jimmy Dyke said on the on the broadcast that I thought was really uh, really smart. He put it really well. It's uh, just about how um, the best way to defend a three point shot is by not allowing dribble penetration. I think people, you know, look so much at defending the three as oh, can you um, you know close out really well and discipline to the uh, to the shooter's right hand hip and um, can you run him off the line? And people look at that as as how you uh, kind of defend the three point shot. Where really the best way to uh, to deter three-point shots from going up is don't get beat off the dribble. Don't make a guy have to come help and, uh, and save you. And uh, that way they, they don't have an open person to kick the ball out to. And I think that's going to be really interesting for Florida. That's really interesting that you note that um, it's not like they have these kind of dribble pull-up guys, that they are kind of drawing help, um, making a pass, maybe making an extra pass and, and shooting an open three. If, if Florida can just be disciplined on the ball and not allow dribble penetration, um, then they should be able to defend the three-point line. So Ken Palm has the game as a 67-64 uh, Miss State win. Um, which, you know, I mean, that, <laughs> that doesn't factor in any of the, the intangible issues that, that, that I've discussed. I, I Quite honestly, I think Florida will, will do what they usually do after a loss and, and play a desperate game. Um, but it's a tall ask, I think, two days after sort of an emotional defeat at home. Like, it's it's a big ask for Florida, and and they have a tricky game coming up after it at Stegman Coliseum. We mentioned on the last podcast that Georgia traditionally sells out two games, um, and and I I've been told that's the case this year that that Florida is one of their two sellouts. Hey, good for them. <laughs> so uh, you often get a lot of Gators from Atlanta in Stegman for that game, but. You know who knows how many how many Gators will make the trip with the with the team at nine and six. Hopefully the the normal amount. And um, Florida has has Tom Crean waiting on the on the back end after Tuesday night. Right, and uh, you know I think that's uh, obviously Kermit Davis at Ole Miss definitely has the uh, the title of best uh, best situation right now for the new coaches in the SEC. But I I do like Crean, and I think he'll uh, um, he'll have Georgia rolling here pretty soon. But I I mean. 
once again, we kind of talked about how, how must win games kind of get thrown out a little bit, uh, a little bit too often, but I mean, like Florida, Florida just can't drop one to Georgia. That just can't happen given, uh, given what's gone on this year. So um, hopefully, yeah, if the Gators can, can give kind of the same effort they gave against Tennessee against Mississippi state, I, I think they win. And if they win that and are able to, uh, to obviously go and, uh, and play Georgia, hopefully to, uh, to an easy, or I shouldn't say an easy in, in a game that they can play well and, and kind of win, uh, decisively, then um, yeah, things are things are looking up a little bit. Yeah, no, uh, Florida doesn't have to deal with Yante Mayton, um, <laughs> which I'm sure everybody's really excited to hear that. Uh, the the Bulldogs they got some dudes. Um, Turtle Jackson was having a really good year and it's kind of tapered off. He was a guy that hurt Florida outside last year. Um, but I also think like the Turtle Jackson thing was like that he's six five and two hundred pounds, and it was often like Chris Chioza, you know. <laughs> so maybe it'll be a little different with I don't know Keontae Johnson to uh, switch on him. But but uh, we'll we'll burn that bridge when we have to. I think pretty big game for Florida to get a quadrant one victory uh, Tuesday night, and and they still are searching for those. And and we've talked about it. I mean a four game stretch here with. Uh, with uh, Texas A&M, the only home game, um, a really important stretch for Florida to not lose control of this season. Yeah, and uh, I mean Texas A&M has been playing some teams tight. I know that their record doesn't, you know, totally show uh, show a great team necessarily, but they're playing teams tight. And um, obviously, there's just there's not just there's not going to be any easy ones in the SEC. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, obviously, like you said, a quadrant one win if they can get one at Mississippi State, and uh, I mean that would be far and away their kind of best win on the uh on the schedule so far um at least kind of by the way kind of perception was with the way they're ranked but um it is pretty interesting i mean you, you look at ken palm and i mean uh florida's 24 and mississippi state's 28 so it's not like uh it's not like this uh, even though you know you see the uh, uh the ap poll ranking and it's uh, it's like oh mississippi state's a way better team than, than florida um i think that um I, I was actually, I was going to mention this. I forgot to just when you were talking about Mississippi state's schedule, um, I thought they scheduled really, really well. I think that uh, kind of getting a, a lot of really good teams, um, but not, not, uh, you know, not Florida state on the first game of the season on the road, not Michigan state um, playing the teams like St. Mary's and Clemson and Cincinnati and Wofford and Arizona state, just kind of those like, um, you know, uh, 40 to 30 to 40 to 50 yeah. teams, Ken Palm teams. I thought that Mississippi state really, really scheduled intelligently. I have a, have a sneaking suspicion that they're one of the teams that really uses kind of the predictive analytic tools when they schedule, um, because there's a couple teams like them. Um, LSU is another one that does this really, really well to play just those, like a lot of sneaky good games. Um, but avoid the really tough games like the Michigan States or the Florida States, um, but still have this resume that looks, looks quite nice and really good. And um, uh, yeah, so, so I think that Mississippi State's really, really good scheduling may make them look a little bit better than they actually are. Um, but at the same time, playing a lot of those, um, play, you know, not playing a really good opponent, but playing a lot of good opponents, um, that also gives you still a lot of opportunities to lose, of course. Um, but, um, I, I also think that might be a little bit easier than, um, than doing the schedule with a lot of these big kind of marquee, uh, opponents. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, I think their, their win over Cincinnati is the one that, that kind of got them, uh, the most national attention. Um, they played a very tight game around Thanksgiving against Arizona state. So, I mean, this is a good team, but yeah, I mean, it's a great point. They haven't, uh, 
there, there was no Michigan State, right? <laughs> it wasn't like – so, uh, you know, they went on the road to play, but it was at Dayton, right? Like, so, cool. Right. Mid-major, mid-major road game against a mid-major that is sometimes really good and sometimes not. Yeah, I would actually love if Florida did that. Got a little bit of, like, you know, maybe some, like, upper, you know, like, Mountain West or, like, A-10 or, like, some of the lower American teams and, and maybe played a road game or two at one of those teams that's um, not going to be excellent, but it's going to hover around the, like, 50 Ken Palm mark. I think that that would actually be – like, those are the games that um, – uh, if you can get a few of those on your schedule and get those, like, road wins that are that are quadrant one, even though – they don't, you know, they probably don't scare you like as if it was a quadrant one opportunity. Um, I think that's a little bit of a way to kind of game the system. And I think the net ratings are people are going to kind of figure it out from time to time and see. Um, but right now, it looks like the teams that, uh, that schedule like that are doing themselves a good favor. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, it'd be great. Florida should play a couple road games like that. Like, go play Florida Golf Coast in Fort Myers. Like, what? you're going to fill the building up with Gators anyway, right? <laughs> so, well, yeah. And I mean, I was just looking, uh, you know, like, um, by, by the metrics, um, like North Carolina, you know, went to play at Wofford and, uh, you know, that by, by the way that they're, by the, I know, I think Wofford's a good team, but I mean, by the way that the, uh, uh, the rankings kind of value road victories, um, you know, that, that's like beating, uh, you know, that's like beating a top 10 team at home or on a neutral site. And it's like, would I really compare those two? Um, I probably wouldn't. So, I mean, if, I, if I'm if i Florida, I'm trying to schedule games like that and uh, and kind of boost your uh, computer numbers a little bit artificially like that. Yeah. No, I mean, I'd love it if they, you know, they've got this Charleston tournament. Like, go play UNC Wilmington three days before that tournament, right? Like, somebody like that. And then just make the short trip down, down the road. Anyway, we're, we're, we're way off on a tangent. Okay. Uh, that, that was a huge end. That's my bad. It's all right. Um. So, yeah, so Florida, uh, obviously, big contest uh, Tuesday night on, I don't know if it's SEC Network or ESPN, but, but it's televised. So, uh, Gators, and then they'll, uh, they'll turn around and, and head to uh, Athens next weekend. So, what would, you, what would you most like to see from the Gators against Mississippi State if you could boil it down to one? One just thing you really hope to see. I just want them to play with the same sort of urgency that they played with Saturday. Um, and it's kind of a cop-out answer. It's not an analytical answer, right? But, but I think that's a big one. And then, you know, um, you know who's going to play hard and rebound hard is, is the Weatherspoon brothers, right? <laughs> you know who's going to alter shots and, and make life difficult when you get in the paint? Eric Coleman. So let's see Florida – you know, don't give Mississippi State easy baskets. You know, attack the glass, rebound better, and you know, set the tone uh, that way, and just you know, just be ready for for a uh, a dog fight against the Bulldogs. Right, and I think one thing we did see against Tennessee was some pretty good consistency. Um, they never really had, you know, they had a couple, they had kind of one little dry spell in the in the second half, um, but overall they never really had that moment like they had against South Carolina where it was just kind of a, oh, here we go again. Like you could just feel things slipping away for the Gators. And um, that's kind of what I would like to see against Mississippi State. Just a, another just kind of consistent game that doesn't see any, any big runs. Um, it doesn't see any uh, kind of big dry spells or times where the Gators, you know, give up a quick seven points in, in, in 45 seconds and um, it, because we know that their defense is going to kind of keep them in game. So if they can just keep uh, 
uh, keep things consistent on an offensive level, um, they're going to be right down to the wire. All right, everybody, we will be uh, back um, to talk about the uh, Miss State game and, and hopefully uh, order getting their 10th win. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And, and remember, you can shoot us uh, listener questions. And I'll throw up another reminder at uh, Gator Country as well because we got some from some Gator Country leaders. <laughs>